This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. So today we have a special speaker. We have Joel joining us. Joel is our uh, student ministry director. I did, they didn't applause for me the last time. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what's happening here, but um, so Joel is going to jump in today. He has the privilege to lead our students um, 6th through 12th, and as a former uh, youth minister, I did student ministry for 10 years myself. Um, most of the gray on this side of my head is from student ministry for a decade, so it's coming for you. It's coming for you, um, but he does such an, an, an excellent job. Him and Michaela both just lead so well, and a lot of those kids are here in this room, and normally you're in the basement, but we brought you out of the basement from deeper to come teach today, so thank you, Joel. You know, it's kind of funny. I feel like I'm almost reliving a little bit of moment in my life, uh, and I think some of y'all could probably relate to this. You remember the moment when your parents hand you the keys for the first time, right? And you feel like you have all the freedom in the world. But then when they hand you the keys, you see it in their eyes, like the fear, but also excitement because now they don't have to drive you everywhere. I kind of feel like I'm living that moment. And then you could feel in like their eyes that every single muscle in their body is flinched, including their butt cheeks. Um, so I, I, well, I guess in this illustration, that would make Darren the dad and I guess Mo the mom. Can't spell, can't spell mommy without Mo. I don't, I don't know. Anyways, on, on that note, good morning, church. It, it is good to be given the opportunity to teach today. Um, I'm going to be honest. I'm both excited but also really nervous. But I do believe that the Lord is going to speak in ways that I haven't even planned or prepped for. Um, so for those of you guys, though, I haven't had the chance to meet. My name is Joel. As Mo said, I have the privilege of leading our student ministry, which we call Reverb here at Conduit, but I just, since I'm up here, I wanted to take a quick moment to introduce you, myself to you guys and my family and kind of tell the story of how we got to this church. And so here is a picture of my awesome family. This is my wife, Michaela, um, and we have been married now for five years. It has flown by. Uh, this is our son, Roman, who is four, and our two daughters, Noah, who is two, and Phoebe, who is six months old now. Um, and it's kind of fun. We've been going through this series through the book of Romans called What is True About You? And Michaela and I's favorite book of the Bible is the book of Romans. And so two of our kids, not the main reason, but part of it was part of their names come from this very book of the Bible, right? Romans, Roman, Ro right, that's obvious. But Phoebe was actually the woman that Paul trusted to deliver the book, the, this letter to the church. And so that's fun. But we've been living here locally in Franklin in the Tennessee area for our, going on our fifth year, and four of those years have been spent here at Conduit. And it's kind of funny because we found this church totally by accident. When we moved here, we moved trusting the Lord with our future and with our, our life. And so we moved, and, and I started here helping my father-in-law because he was building a small business. And it was pressure washing and seal coating driveways, which is a lot of work, very hard work. Um, but we were, we were pressure washing and seal coating driveways, and there was one day where there was no work, nothing left. All the, the jobs were done. There was no sales leads to be had, and I just remember it was a kind of a sweet moment because we were praying so diligently that the Lord would supply for us, and so we were driving around praying, talking, and, and we drive past Darren's house, and we see that he is power washing his own driveway. 
And so my father-in-law, if you know him, of course, he slams on the brakes. And I'm thinking like, why are you, st- he's got it handled. He's got it covered. We, we can keep going. He's clearly has this handled, but he stops, hops out and has this conversation. I stay in the truck because I'm like kind of annoyed. It's like, we don't, he's doing it himself. Um, so he goes and have a conversation. He comes back and he then proceeds to tell me that the Lord told him that we are supposed to do this job pretty much for free, uh, not charge labor, only charge for the materials, and which to that I reluctantly agreed. Um, but it's in that job and that process that we learned Darren was a pastor of a church, and my father-in-law was in sabbatical at the time, and so he thought it'd be fun to visit, and so he did, and then later invited my family to join him. And to be honest, we've been here ever since. That's kind of like the history of how we got here but I'm here to teach. I'm not here to tell you guys my life story. So I I just want to pray for us though, as we dive into the sermon today. And so would you guys join me in prayer? Uh, Lord, we come to you today thankful. It's Thanksgiving. And so we're just so grateful for the blessings and the things that you do in our lives and everything that you provide for us along the way. It's, It's really fun to see just how much your hand is in our lives. And so I pray for us today, though, as we've come to hear from you, Lord, to come expectant to hear from you, that, Spirit, you would, you would move today. You would be with us today and that the people in this church, Lord, would, would walk away encouraged because of the words that you have. And I pray for if there's anyone in this room that, that might not know who you are, that today they would have a true encounter with the living God and that they would have a a death-to-life moment, and they could really and fully put their trust in you. You know, Jesus, the only reason we get to pray is because you died on the cross for us. So we're thankful for that. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You know, if I had to put a title on the sermon, it would probably be this. What is true about you? It's pretty clever, I think. Um, No, I'm just playing. The the title would have to be that you are a wretched man. And there are really three questions that I feel that Paul is going after and he answers in the text. And that's where we're going to be spending most of our time today. And the first question is, who is your worst enemy? The second is, why? Why are you, or who, why is this person your worst enemy? And the third would be, what is the solution to this? How do we fix the problem. And so if you have your Bible, you could turn with me to Romans chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 14, and we're going to read all the way to chapter 8, verse 1. And I just want to say, if you don't have a Bible, I'm going to let you off the hook this week. Um, the, the words will be on the screen behind me, but y'all, this is church, and I don't know about other churches, but here at Conduit, we believe that this book is the, are the very words of God, and so that means no matter who gets up here on this stage, we are going to prioritize this book, and so it, it's important for us. It's going to be open every single Sunday. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, that's totally fine. You can, you can find me afterwards, and I would actually love to give you, I'd, I'd love the opportunity to meet you, but I'd love to give you one for free. And so we're in Romans chapter 7, and before we read, I think it's important to give some context, and it's important for us to note that of who Paul is writing to when he's writing this letter. And so really, he's writing to two major groups at the time that we called the Gentiles and the Jews. And the reason why this is important is because around AD 45, the emperor at the time of, the, uh, of Rome announced an edict. 
an edict to expel the Jews from the, the, the city of Rome, which would leave only the Christian Gentiles at the time in the church. And this period lasted roughly about five years. And when the Jews were allowed to return, they come back and they experience a little bit of a culture shock. Because come to find out that these Christian Gentiles, they gave very little regard to many of the, the traditions and the beliefs that the Jews cherished and loved so deeply. And you can imagine it caused some tension caused some tension in this church upon the return of the Jews. And, and Paul, he understood, he knew that the, the gospel was the only thing that could empower these two very different types of people to stick together despite their differences. And, and so we really start to feel this tension, though, building in chapters 6 and 7, because what you see is the, these two extreme views that Paul is going after. There's this extreme view of grace in chapter 6. Paul answers the question, what do we do? Do we sin more that grace may abound? And he says, certainly not. And in chapter 7, he then goes after the extreme view of the law. And so as we read today, I want you to, though, put yourself into the text, okay? I want you to put yourself as if you were Paul writing these words, to visualize yourself as Paul. And so if you would, follow along with me, starting in verse 14. It says, the Bible says this, it says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, then I agree that the law is good, as it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep doing this. You confused yet? Y'all, I had to read this like 50 times to understand it. Starting in verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, uh, a slave to the law of sin. In chapter eight, verse one says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you remember the first question I asked today is, who is your worst enemy? You know, my son, I just told you, he's four years old now, and so he's becoming obsessed with superheroes, in which to that I say, amen, praise God, hallelujah. I love this time of his life and this period because I love superheroes, and so it's something that I can relate to him with and, and enjoy and have conversations with him about. But if you were to ask Roman, if you were to go to Roman and say, yo, what's your favorite superhero? 
And it would honestly be a toss-up between three, but I think it kind of depends on what movie we watch because he doesn't have that much of a memory. But uh, it would be between Spider-Man, Black Panther, and Iron Man. And I do think Spider-Man would take the cake because it's been his favorite for the longest amount of time. And if you know Roman, and the reason is because Spider-Man can do this thing where he shoots a web out of his hand and he can swing from buildings and he does all, does all these acrobatic tricks and moves and, and beats up bad guys. And if you know Roman, he thinks he can do the same thing. And so we just recently bought this nugget couch, and I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's basically this couch that every single piece can turn into and build a fort. And so Roman loves to build these obstacle courses and things for him to jump around in and do superhero moves on. And it's kind of funny because he'll build this tower that's like as tall as I am, and he like contemplates if he can jump off of it and like beat up this imaginary dude. And so it's kind of cool to watch him like realize his limitations, right? That he's not Spider-Man, he's a four-year-old kid. Um, but since my son loves superheroes so much, I was like, why don't we start from the beginning, right? Why don't we start from the beginning of the Marvel Universe and begin to go through the movies? Um, and so we just recently watched Iron Man. Um, and, and it's fascinating because as you watch, and by the way, I'm going to give some spoiler alerts, but the movie's been out since 2008, y'all. Like, I have no qualms telling you the story that is your fault. Um, and so in this movie, we see this guy named Tony Stark, who's this just the billionaire. And he's living his life. He's doing his thing. He's going to parties. He, he's making military weapons. And so he's just living it up, doing his thing. And it's in that we begin to see just how arrogant Tony Stark really is. And as a billionaire, you'd think, like, he, he goes to this military base to present his weapon, and you'd think he would have a guy to do that for him, but it's in his arrogance that he goes to this base for, by himself to present this Jericho missile that he now has invented and is going to sell to the military. And, and after he pr has this presentation, he clicks this button, and what is, like, supposed to hold the missile actually holds all of his alcohol. So he pushes the button, his drink comes out, and he hops in this convoy to, be, to go home. And on his way home, he is then ambushed by this militia group called Ten Rings, and they capture him and put him into prison. And it's in prison that Tony is then tasked to build this missile for this militia that is in war-torn Afghanistan. And so instead of building the missile, though, he starts to build his suit, his Iron Man suit, and he's doing it secretively. But at the same time, what he, what he thought was making the world a better and safer place for everybody, was, which was his weapons, was actually having an opposite effect. Because what he discovered was his military weapons was being sold to this militia group. And so Tony then goes on this journey and later discovers, as he's trying to figure out how and why, he discovers that this guy named Obadiah Stane, who was the very person that helped Tony take over his dad's company, Stark Industries, wasn't who he thought he was. And he was actually the very person that was selling the weapons to the enemy. And in this, we see that Obadiah Stane became Tony Stark's worst enemy. And here's the thing. I think if you and I were honest with ourselves, and I hope we can be, I'm gonna be pretty vulnerable up here today, but if we were to be honest with ourselves, I think in our life, sometimes it's really hard for us to identify who our enemy is. But since we're human, right, we, we wanna find out who it is. We wanna discover who the enemy is because if we can find out who the enemy is, then we can try to conquer them, 
right? We can try to get revenge. We can try to get a leg up on them. We can try to beat them completely. But the problem is the older we get, the, the, the older we become, we realize that this war that is waging and the enemy we're trying to find isn't on the outside of us. It's on the inside. And we begin to realize that we're fighting this war that's not happening externally, it's happening internally. In other words, what I'm proposing to you today is that you are your own worst enemy. And Paul is simply expounding upon the fact that there are some things, there are some truths about humanity, about all of us, that we need to wrestle with, that we need to begin to understand as this war, we begin to identify this war waging inside of us. What does Paul say? Paul says there's a situation we all face, and he's saying we are unspiritual. We are sold as slaves to sin, that regardless of how much or how hard we try to be and do good, we fail. And because of this, no matter what you and I do, no matter how hard we try, you and I will never measure up to the standard or the law of God. The law is spiritual. We are unspiritual. Hence how Paul concluded verse 18. What does he say? Paul says, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. You see, the problem is that, though, in our Western culture, in this Western world, they have begun to tell us that you are enough. Like, be true to yourself. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Get on with it. Work hard. Keep going. And you will eventually, in your own power, begin to find the peace that you are searching for. And the sad thing is, this has begun to seep into our church culture across America. And the Western world is becoming a culture of self-worship. Thaddeus Williams, he wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition this week that was titled, Self-Worship is the Largest Growing Religion, Fastest Growing Religion, excuse me. And it's in this article that he explains that 84% of Americans believe that enjoying yourself is the highest goal of our life. 84%. He then continues, he says that in our day, the Westminster Catechism has been inverted, that the chief end of of man is to glorify and enjoy himself forever. In other words, your true happiness really depends on what's inside of you. Y'all, what a lie the enemy is feeding us today. Because I don't know about you, but the more I discover about myself, like the more work I do around my personality and who I am as a person and where I want to go in my life, the more I relate to verse 18 that says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. And Paul is saying we all have a sinful nature. In Psalm 51.5, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and, my sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You see, David himself saw that his parents who were sinful brought forth a child who was sinful, and he knew and he recognized that it's because of his sin nature that there was nothing he could do. Everything he did would fall short of the glory of God. And the prophet Jeremiah also commented on sin nature, and he says that the heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick, and who can understand it? Isaiah says that we have all become like one who is unclean, 
and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities, like the wind takes us away. In other words, there is this sin nature in all of us that truly makes us our own worst enemy. The second thing we see is in this text is the reason why. In verses 21 through 24, it says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? You know, I think we all struggle with something, and I, I do want to call out some pastors here. You know, jo Joey, he has this ungodly obsession with Dr. Pepper. Like, the dude puts down Dr. Pepper. He has like, he used to have like eight a day. He's cut back a little bit. He switched to the Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar, but I mean, if there is one thing that's going to kill Joey, it is Dr. Pepper. Um, and Mo has a uh, an obsession with the number one with the lemonade from Chick-fil-A. I mean, he gets that. He eats at Chick-fil-A probably 20 times a week. And, and y'all, because of the proximity of Chick-fil-A to this church, I, I fully believe that as a staff, we have paid the living wages of all of their employees every single month. Seriously. I'm like, no joke. Uh, but I do want to be vulnerable with you guys. Um, you know, when I was 14, I was introduced to my first cigarette. And I'm not gonna lie, in that moment, it was, it was kind of nasty, it was kind of gross, but it felt good. And at the time, it, it really was out of curiosity. My friend had some cigarettes and I was like, oh, I'll try one, why not, I mean, whatever. And so I did it, and man, if only I could go back. If only I could go back. You see, what started as curiosity, it, it grew as a need for me to escape. There was, there was a lot of hurt in my life that, that I didn't want to deal with. And so I decided to ignore it. I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to mend it. I didn't want to make it right. And so I ignored it. But when I ignored it, it then grew into this monster in my life that I couldn't bear to face. And so this went on for about a decade of my life. And, and among other things, I would go to cigarettes to escape. And what Paul is getting at here in verses 21 through 24 is there, I think, something that we all experience in Christ, right? Like, we, we want to do good. We want to serve well. We want to figure out how in our life we can glorify God and we can, and we can delight in his law and do the things he has called us to do. But at the same moment, we all fail. We see the war waging. And we yell to God, we cry out to God, like, God, I got this. I'm going to do this this time. I'm going to conquer it. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get it done. And so you have a success for a season. And while you, you have, may have streaks of victory, you have streaks of greatness. And then when you least expect it, you fail again. Y'all, I don't even think I could count how many times in my life I try to kick the nicotine addiction. You see, we try to overcome our sinful nature through the law, but what Paul is saying is that the law can't deliver you. The law only acts as a magnet that draws out sin and corruption from our lives. Like, you might delight in truth, but guess what? Your sinful nature delights in breaking God's law. And you'll eventually get to where Paul got to in verse 25. 
What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body? You know, the word wretched here in the Greek, and so I know I'm not going to attempt to say it because I don't want someone to mistake me trying to speak in tongues or anything, but um, the word means to be exhausted after battle. Exhausted after battle. And what could be more exhausting, right, than exerting all of my energy, all of my efforts, all of my power and strength to try to have victory, but only to discover that my best still isn't good enough? So what do we do? What, what do you do when you feel like your sin is controlling you? It's like you're trying to live for God with your life, but no matter what you do, no matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you try, you can't break the cycle of sin you're in. And you, you feel like you're not enough. Guess what, church? You're not enough. You're not enough. If you were enough, then Christ wouldn't have had to die for you. Like, when did we become so arrogant that we started to believe that we could save ourselves, that we could set ourselves free? You are no match for temptation. You are no match for sin. You are no match for the powers of hell. There is only one, and his name is Jesus. And he took your place on the cross, the cross that you deserve Y'all, if Christ's blood is sufficient to pay for your sins, then it's sufficient enough to sustain us through every challenge, every trial, every hardship, every addiction, every broken relationship, every temptation. Christ is enough. And that's the answer to the third question. Paul says your freedom is in Romans 8, chapter, one, or chapter 8, verse 1 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, meaning that if you believe in him, you are not your past. You are not your present struggle. You're not your future failing. You are his child. You are alive in him and he abides with you. But if you don't believe in him, the law condemns you. The Bible says, though, that if you confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. And in that moment of repentance, you are then given what we call justification, which just means the righteousness that you couldn't obtain is only obtained through Christ. And his righteousness will be accredited to your account. Your debt will be paid and you will be adopted into his family and through the blood of Jesus. You know, we just sang this song, and the lyrics said this, I run to the Father, I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, there's no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. And so I run to the Father again and again and again and again. Church, what are you dealing with? What are you going through today? And whatever it is, would you run to the Father? We can see that the war is waging on the inside of us, that we are our own worst enemy because of our sin nature, that there's nothing we can do to live up and match God's law and God's standard. The only solution is through Christ Jesus. So what has to break inside of you? 
Is it pornography? Is it anxiety? Is it depression, addiction, self-righteousness? Whatever it is, church, would you leave that in this room today? Would you submit yourself to the Father and find freedom in Christ, not through your own power? Stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we come to you today thankful that regardless of what we do, no matter how we try, we learn that we're not enough, but you are enough. And the work you did on the cross was the very thing that we needed to save us. Jesus, what a love so deep, so vast, so inclusive that you thought of us as you were nailed to the tree. I pray if anyone in this, mo- in this room is struggling, that doesn't know how to do, doesn't know how to work or fight sin, I pray that they would just lay it all out, lay it at the feet of Jesus, lay it at the cross, and it's through you, through your blood, that freedom is found, not through us. And so I pray for this church. Pray that we would always be submitted to you, that we would seek after you, that we trust you. In Jesus, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.